0: Fine. I got
1: it, mm-hmm. All, right, good morning. All right, good morning.. Wonderful to see everyone. Hopefully everyone's doing well. Uh, we are going to continue in our study on the book of Second Timothy. and we're in the first chapter still. and we think we left off in verse 9. Um, so if you could go ahead and turn with me to Second Timothy, I'll read the whole first chapter again to get the context and really drill it into your mind. And then uh, we can pick up from there. So, into 2 Timothy. <clears throat> Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers. I remember you night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me, Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me and the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day, and you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. So, we will, uh, again, pick up in verse 9. So can it, somebody remind you, those of you who were here last week, what we talked about last week? of you remember anything from that? It was The majority of it was in verse 9, so it will give you a hint.
0: We were talking about it's our faith. It's faith given to us, not by what we
1: do. Right, yeah, it's faithful by grace and not by our works. And we talked a lot about that. Uh, anybody else remember anything? We talked a lot about uh, being called to a holy calling. And uh, that, that's what, if you are a Christian, you are called to and to pursue holiness and kind of how we do that through the obedience to our, our conscience, which we have informed by the Word of God, um, that informs us. And and really about listening to, to our conscience um, so that we can live out that holy calling. Um, but yeah, as Chris mentioned, we left off last week talking about how salvation is by grace and not by works, um, and so we mentioned a number of verses uh, that speak to this—that salvation is by grace, and not by works—and we even looked at Romans chapter six um, to where Paul kind of answers this question as to whether you know if his salvation is by grace, and does that mean that I can continue sinning? I can go on and do whatever I want to do? You know, I'm just given a license to sin now, and Paul says, you know, by no means. You are—you have died to sin. You—you um, you were once slaves to sin, but now you are slaves. Uh, To righteousness. And so we're not allowed to continue on in that way. So we looked at Romans 6 there. And then I wanted to look at another uh, section or passage in Scripture uh, to talk about that. And that is James chapter 2. And I think this is an important verse to go to. So go ahead and turn with me to James 2. So in James 2, so this also kind of indicates that you know faith is not just to be alone, uh, but that you know you should see works. Now you're saved by faith, um, but that works is to be evident in your life as well. And another reason I wanted to go over this verse is because if you've ever talked to somebody that who who is arguing for works-based salvation, maybe like a Roman Catholic or something, they're probably going to point you to this verse or this uh, section in scripture and say, "What about James chapter two? Doesn't that kind of say that we're saved by our works?" So let's read James chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 14, and let's see what it says. Um, Let me get to it first. So in verse 14, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So, reading that does that just do away with everything that paul has said over and over again or that has been laid out in all the rest of the scriptures that salvation is by faith alone and by grace alone you think so i see it as a reinforcement yeah
0: it is a reinforcement you have to have the faith first Mm -hmm. but the faith comes by grace right in your faith then you want to carry out
1: Mm works. yeah yeah so it's it's Works is not what saved you. Faith saved you. Um, but if you do not have those works, that proves you don't have that faith that saved you. Does that make sense? So that's what it's saying here in James, and what he's pointing out here. And he says in, in verse fourteen, he says, "What goes on, my brother? If or if someone says he has faith, so he's talking about the person who claims they have faith. When you we all know people, unfortunately, that are like this that will tell you that they have faith, but then you look at their life and you can see that they do nothing." of what the scriptures teach them to do and really have no interest in the things of God, but yet they'll tell you they have faith. And so this is what this is talking about, this person here that claims to have faith but very clearly does not, but and that's evident by their works. So it's not saying you're saved by works. It's saying that you're saved by faith, but that faith will have evidence in works. And then as far as, like, verse 24, where it says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Most commentaries that I've seen... Uh, of men that I would trust, it's say that this is how you are justified by other people. Um, so how someone else is going to look at your life and find out whether or not you're a believer or whether or not you truly have faith, because they, they can't look into your heart. They don't know what you actually believe. So they can see your outward works and the way you live your life and can justify you based on that. So I don't know, would anybody disagree with that or have anything to say regarding anything here in James chapter 2? Any comments on that? ahead. Go ahead. Uh,
0: this passage does confuse a lot of people, but uh, mm-hmm. several years ago I came across somebody who suggested that like, if you just replace the word works with the word fruit, it becomes a lot less confusing to people. Mm-hmm. Now the confusion is not like in the Bible. It's not like the Bible made a mistake, but due to later controversies and whatnot, you know, mm-hmm. we are confused. But if you just read it, putting that word fruit in it, it becomes so clear, you know, faith without fruit is dead. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, that makes a lot of sense. But a lot of people do. Ju- I guess we do know that a lot of people find this, passage confusing especially on this matter of are we saved by grace alone or by grace plus works but again to me that if, if you just put that fruit word in there it seems to clarify a, a lot of things
1: yeah i think that is a good point i think the, the seeing works there just kind of throws you off because we were told that it's by faith alone and we see works only like, i well, can't be but it, like you said that it's really just implying fruit here this is what's going to come of your life you know if you have been saved by god give something you want to say it's a indictment of the easy believers. And I think probably James was facing that or he's facing that like I can just walk the aisle, pray the prayer, I'm done. Mm-hmm. Um that better right there they at least assent to the idea that God is God. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's what do you have faith in? you have faith intellectual factor do you have faith in the message that Christ preached? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean I'm sure he was dealing with people like that, and again, that's no no different than what we see today. We see people all the, all the time like this. And it would be a warning to you to you know examine your own life and see whether or not you have these works or these fruits in your life. Um, because if you don't, then there's probably a good indication that you're not safe. So any other comments before we move on from this topic? Okay, so then we go to verse, so back to Second Timothy. So he has called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. So a couple of things here is, one, this indicates that there was you know, a time before time, um, if you will. There was, um, you know, Time was not something that has always existed. It was created by God to give arrangement and order to the present world, which I know is kind of hard for you to wrap your mind around and really think about like, how has God always existed? How is, you know, how is there not time? Because we've just always operated within um, the scale of time. And so it's, it's hard for us to envision, but this teaches us that God has always existed before there was time. And this also indicates that Christ Jesus has always existed um, before time began, because he says that he gave us this grace in Christ Jesus before the ages began. So he was there also, is what this teaches. And so Jesus was not created. He was not uh, born into the world when he came to earth. Um, he, along with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, have always existed from all eternity past. So that's what this uh, teaches here. And like I said, this is talking about grace, because if you go right before that, that's what it leads off there. But he's given us this calling, not because of our works, but because of our own purpose in grace, um, and grace, and then which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the age began. So what he's giving us is this grace. This is what he gave believers before time began. So what this verse is talking about is the predestining work of God, or predestination which I'm sure most of you have probably heard the word or are familiar at least somewhat with the doctor. Maybe you haven't, and that's uh, not a big deal if you haven't. Um, there's something you want to be familiar with because the scripture does teach this. So we're going to talk about it, um, and I'm sure you probably know, if you do know anything about it, that it's a largely debated topic. Um, there's kind of a, lot, a lot of times a lot of hostility with this topic. Um, so it's important to know that the word predestination or that we have been predestined is in the Bible. Um So you have to have some sort of definition, some sort of answer for what it means. It's not something you can just ignore and act like it's not a thing, which a lot of people want to do. Um, This is a word that's in the Bible, and I'll give you a couple verses uh, where we find this. Ephesians 1, 4, and 5 says, "...even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will." Ephesians one eleven. later on in the chapter, says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Romans 8, 29 and 30, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. So there are a couple examples of where we see this in Scripture, that we have been predestined. So again, you can't ignore it. We need to, we need to understand what this word means. So I'm going to start by telling you what predestination uh, is not, and, and this is in regards to salvation. Predestination in regards to salvation. This is predestination in regards that you know God predestines every little minute detail and uh, molecule and all that. Um, but this is in the specific um, sphere of salvation. So this is what salvation or predestination is not. But what is commonly believed by a lot of people, this is actually what I believed growing up for the longest time. And now I don't know if I would have associated it with the word predestination or that I really even knew what that was. But this is how I believed God operated. And so maybe some of you did as well. But predestination is not that God looks down the corridors of time and sees who would believe in him and then predestines and sets his love upon those people. Has anybody ever heard somebody give you that kind of an explanation for predestination? God simply just since he knows the future, he just looks into the future, finds out what's gonna happen, and then predestines things based upon that. What would be the problem if that were the way things were, if that was how God operated?
2: Free will. What's that? Free will.
1: Free will? That would be the problem you're saying? what do you mean by that?
2: Right, if God can see everything in the world, like okay. Everything is going to go my way. So I took that. Thing. Mm-hmm. So that could have no right saying no. Say doesn't know whatever it's depth wouldn't be right, God knows everything like that would do everything that does in all the way that he would have taken what he wants. So we mean that that guy will have the will to say like do what he wants as a of as individual.
1: Okay, so you're saying that the that the problem is that that man would have free will. Is that what you're trying to say, or I, I don't? What, I can't. I don't know if I'm understanding. Let me say that sees you right. Mm-hmm. That knows everything about you. Yeah. How you're going to end up, something like that. And you don't know
2: that, right? Correct. Maybe in ten years, where you're going to be. You don't see the future, right? Correct. And that would be like, okay, then I know what what is going to be at the end. I'll guide his way. I will prevent him from doing something that he wants to do by himself because I want him. So God will do any will use his full powers because he knows your future. Or you. when you not have a will to do what you want? Are you getting me?
1: Well, I mean I I don't see this is what I'm gonna argue against is that God is not just looking into the future and seeing like what you're gonna do. And then making his decisions based upon that. So I don't know if, if that's what you're saying. I don't know. Uh, do you have something you want to say?
3: I think he's trying to say that if God predestines something,
2: then individuals are not going to have free will.
1: Okay, Because
2: yeah. God is predestined that you will be this. So you don't have a will to tell God, or you don't have a will to go out of what God wants you to do. Mm-hmm. So there will be no free will for individuals if things are predestined.
1: That okay. is what I think. Okay, so. Yeah, yeah. I uh, mean, and, yeah, and this is a, a very interesting topic, and this, and this is what brings the debate that we were talking about. Um, and obviously, there is a fine line between like the the responsibility of man and the sovereignty of God and salvation. You know, I'm I'm, I'm going to argue that God is sovereign over all things and that he he does predestine everything. Um, yet there is still a sense in which we're responsible for our sin, and this is just what the scriptures teach. So this is what I believe, and I can't I can't say that I can explain it. Uh, to a perfect, uh, perfectly, but uh, nevertheless, we are responsible for our sins. Yet God is sovereign over all things. There's a sense in which we have free will. How that all works out, I don't know that we can really know or understand. But go ahead, Josie. Um, I think going back to your question that you
3: asked, what the problem mm-hmm. that would be? That would make us in control of our salvation, and mm-hmm. we are not able. Our, our hearts are evil. We're not able to choose God on our own. And I think, kind of piggybacking off of what Emmanuel was saying, yes, we do have great will, but the Lord can move all of the pieces around to accomplish His will despite mm-hmm. what our day to day decisions are. But when it, the call of grace comes to us, not yeah. um, but the irresistible grace. Um,
2: yeah. So,
3: but yeah, the problem would be that would make us in control. Of our salvation, and
4: in a way, kind
1: of more powerful than God, like He's responding to our decision. and That's not really, happening. Mm-hmm. yeah, that, that I would agree. I think that that
4: is probably, I agree on something. The thing that, I mean, it's just an observation that as I thought through this more critically later on in life, it's like often the objection is like that's not fair on the part of God to do that to people. I mean, you know, we have to have room own free will, but it really just kind of moves the problem one step further back. I mean, you're still asserting that God knows what you're going to do and is fine with that like he knows you're going to rebel and reject him and go to hell and he's like i'll make him anyway so there's still a sense in which if that's your objection kind of are you're just dealing with a problem at a previous stage of it if that makes any sense you're mm-hmm. not still doing something going to
1: happen mm-hmm. yeah yeah i don't i think there's there's difficult things to answer on on both sides of aisle I guess if you will and whatever you believe and I will say that this is not something that you have to believe in order to be saved Um, I think there are Christians um, who don't believe in predestination or don't believe the way that I would believe it or I think this church believes it um, that are are good Christian people that are are saved and are going to go to heaven when they die Uh, so this is not something um, that is an essential doctrine that you have to get right Uh, That being said, to my estimation, I would say it is as close to an essential doctrine as you can get without being essential. I think it forms so much of how you view things, how you read the Bible, the way you think God is, how you think yourself is. Um, I think it is is very, very important um, to try to get this right, but it is not essential, so I will say that. Um, But everything that's being said, um, I would agree with here. And so um, I think the problem, as Chelsea was saying, um, is that you know? If God simply was looking down the corridors of time to see what we would believe, then that would mean salvation is based upon something that God or something good that God foresaw in us. So He looks, so He looks down the corridors of time, you know, before time began. I says, you know, oh, I wonder if anybody's going to believe in me. I'm going to, I'm going to send my son to die uh, on the cross here, but I don't know if anybody's going to believe. I hope, hopefully, somebody does. So He <laughs> looks down into the future and He sees, oh, look at that, Drew's going to believe. Oh, look at that, you know, Pastor Tim's going to believe. Well, that's good, so I'm going to set my love upon them. So this is obviously not how uh, God is going to work, um, and this would also give us reason to boast. I think um, if, if, again, you're saved, and the reason you're saved is because you were smart enough, wise enough, and humble enough to believe the gospel message and to understand that you needed it, whereas this other person was not smart enough to realize that, and they're not saved, then you would have reason, right, to boast in yourself and say, well, you know, I was smart enough to do that. Well, whereas Larry was not smart enough to do that. And so he's not saved. <laughs> I don't know why. Larry is a popular guy. He gets used a lot. But anyway, so it would give us reason to boast. And again, Ephesians 2.8.9 says that for uh, by faith through grace you have been saved. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. So... Um, I think that would be a major problem, again, if that was how God operated. Additionally, this would mean that God learns things, that he has to look into the future uh, to find out what is going on, or what is going to happen. But we know that the scriptures teach that God knows all things, and he ordains all things. Um, so he does not have to figure out what's going to happen. He has set everything that is going to happen. So that is what I would argue predestination is not. But it is popularly or largely believed by a lot of people that that is the definition they would give for it. So I would say that predestination, again, in regards to salvation, is that God from before time began decreed to elect some people to salvation and intervenes in their lives to regenerate them by grace through faith while passing over others and allowing them to remain in their sin. I'll read that again. Predestination is that God from before time began decreed to elect some people to salvation and intervenes in their lives to regenerate them by grace through faith while passing over others and allowing them to remain in their sin. So, common objection to this, and Drew kind of mentioned this already, is that that's unfair, right? You've all heard that. If you've had any conversations with people about this, I've had a number of these, the people that don't agree with this. And the objection is, almost always, that's unfair. That makes God a mean God. How could God do this? So, is this unfair of God? Why is this not unfair? Or why why is this, or why is this not unfair? Manually, I mean, anyway, have some...
2: Yeah, that's
1: unfair. But... Okay. And uh,
2: why do you think that that uh, these
1: Why does he predestine these things? Yeah. His own purpose and will, I think, is what the scripture teach. I mean, to
2: his, glory.
1: To his glory. yeah. How do you know that? Um, it says it several times in scripture. I think Ephesians 1 really draws that out. I encourage you to read that, but go ahead, Arshel. I
0: guess, kind of backing up. The conversation isn't going to make any sense if you don't believe the entire Bible is the Word of God. Mm -hmm. So maybe if that's a question, delay debating predestination until you've sorted out what you think the Bible is. If you know what I'm saying. So if you still have questions on is every word of the Bible inspired by God, maybe address that and then get the predestination thing later. This conversation is only going to make any sense to those who believe that every word of God, every word in the Bible is the Word of God. But once you believe that, then you've got to grapple with all these verses that Mm do talk about predestination. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know how to say this nicely, but like, yeah, that's still an open question for you. Is every word of God, every word in the Bible the word of God? Maybe don't happen in this conversation at this time because it's not going to
1: make sense. Does that make any sense to anybody? Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I think, again, this is just the convictions I, can. I mean At one point in time, I didn't like this doctrine. I, I couldn't stand it. And, and Drew was actually the first one who brought it up to me. And I would constantly argue against it because I didn't think that was the way things were. But then as I started to read the scriptures, it's just kind of inevitable, and I was like, I don't think I can get around this, and now I wouldn't want to get around this. I think this is one of the most glorious truths that you can come to believe in. So, go ahead, Kathy. You. One of the
3: things that changed my mind on this, too, <clears throat> the more you learn about God and who He truly really is, and His purpose isn't just our salvation, His purpose is a final kingdom of people who, who love Him for who He is and His qualities. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, when you understand that he created this whole universe, you know, he knew each of us by by name and planned for each of us the good works that we would do as Christian. He also has purposes in the wicked to bring him glory, mm-hmm. to show forth his characteristics. Um, and you know that verse, how great a salvation we have? Mm-hmm. When we begin to understand how great a salvation we have and who God is. Then, you know, there's such comfort in this sovereignty and mm-hmm. humility, you know, it just humbles us. Mm-hmm. We are jars of clay. There's nothing in
2: us mm-hmm. for
3: God to pick any of us. Yeah. His, His mercy and grace, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think part of it is not only understanding that the Word of God is completely true, but also, to, to, for me, it was to fully grasp who God is. Mm-hmm. Um, and his power and his strength, and how, how nothing we are compared to that, mm-hmm. and what amazing inheritance we have mm-hmm. for the eternity with with the Creator of the universe. Yeah. Uh, who could who could deny that? Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, so, um, and you know, to show that he does it through this way of showing wickedness and righteousness. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, this guy has a purpose in all of this. You know, some vessels for honorable use, some vessels for, for dishonorable use, and you know, and I think it's and it just it, it makes it entirely by the grace of God instead of you know again something that he foresaw in us. So, I ask the question: Is this the objection? Is that this is unfair? Uh, I would say that this is not unfair, and I think the, the way you can answer th- this question, um is that God, in passing over some, is not causing them to sin or keeping them from putting their faith in them. I think this is what a lot of people think. Uh, they think that you know those who are not elect are t- truly good people and they just really, really want to know God. They really, really want to put their faith in Him. Uh, but God just won't let them because He's already predestined everything. He's planned everything out, and that's just not going to happen. So we'll talk about Larry again. So Larry, no matter how hard you want to put your faith in me, I'm not going to let you put my faith in me. Uh, that is not how God works. And let me just say that prior to regeneration by the Holy Spirit, those kind of people do not exist. There are not people who really, really want to know God unless they've been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. I think, Chelsea, you kind of mentioned that, in this, and this is kind of uh, it's going to lead me into what we're going to talk about here. So I have a couple of verses, I think, that speak to this. Uh, the first is Romans 3, chapter 10, or Romans three, ten 10 through 12. And that says, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. The verse is Romans 8, 7, and 8. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God, and being in the flesh is synonymous with being in unbelief. It's um, to be in your your stone heart, to not have that heart of stone removed and given the heart of flesh. That's what it's talking about there. Romans 8, it says you cannot submit to God's law, and you will not submit to God's law. So this is the doctrine of total depravity, and some of you may have heard the term, but that anyone who's still in their flesh or unsaved is opposed to the things of God and will never, in and of themselves or apart from the grace of God, choose to follow Him. Okay, So I think this is what Scripture teaches. So again, if, if God were to leave it up to us and then just find out what we were going to do, uh, I think you would find out that none of us are going to choose him. And this is what I get from scriptures, this isn't just me saying this. This is how I think things are. But I think when you read verses like that, that kind of puts that uh, into perspective of the, the uh, nature of man, I guess, so to speak. So, any comments, questions on that before we keep going here?
0: Go we discussed a bit of the total gravity at Friday night growth group the other night. Mm-hmm. We went over the solas and to two of the Reformation weekend, so we did. Um, but we said, If you believe someone that people are born inherently good, we'll take a field trip to a church nursery (laughs) (laughs) and tell me that they were born good. We have to be taught to be good. Mm -hmm. good. Mm -hmm. And that has to be, we have to gain that, just like our salvation has to be given to us. People aren't taken to heaven, kicking and screaming, just like, Mm -hmm. you know, anything else. Right. We have to have, like you said, we have to have that regeneration first,
1: mm-hmm. and then it's irreversible. Yeah, I, nobody in their uh, you know, unsafe state, again, is, is going to desire the things of God. And this is what we get from the scriptures, and um, Charles Spurgeon writes this on this subject. He says, I believe I believe the doctrine of election, because I am quite sure that if God had not chosen me, I would never have chosen him. And I am sure he chose me before I was born, or else he never would have chosen me afterwards and he must have elected me for reasons unknown to me, for I never could find any reason in myself why he should have ever looked upon me with special love. So I think, you know, if you believe this doctrine, you can all kind of agree with that. I mean, there's there was nothing, I couldn't think of one reason why God would, would set his love upon me, given everything I did growing up, all the sins I've committed, and the rejection of his word, and everything, and you know, all the grace that he showed me anyway, and yet I still continued to reject him. And so why would God have set his love upon me? Well, it's not because of anything that I did. It's because of his own purposes, again, as we read from the text. And so uh, so God is not actively working to keep people out of heaven. He is simply allowing some to continue in their sin and ultimately giving them justice. And so another thing uh, that we should understand is that, and this is why, again, I think the, I don't think God is being unfair, is that we cannot demand mercy from God. Uh, again, mercy is something that is given to somebody who does not deserve it or has not earned it. And so we can't tell somebody that you have to give me mercy, and we can't tell God that you have to give me mercy. So nobody is suffering injustice. If you are not given something that you do not deserve or do not need to be given, then you have not been treated unjustly, right? So anyone who goes to heaven has received grace, and anyone who goes to hell has received justice. Does that make sense? I mean, is, Follow me on that. Um, so this is why I think, I think it's not unfair. One, God is not ca- causing you to sin or keeping you from believing in him. You are doing that on your own, by your own nature and your sinful desires, and that, um, and that we cannot demand mercy from God. He does not owe any of us mercy. He does not owe any of us anything. So uh, that, I think, is, would be my answer to the objection that this is unfair of God to, to operate in this way. So anybody have comments, questions on that? Go ahead. One other thing along the lines, whenever you know, we talk
0: about like what's fair and unfair? you got to ask the previous question, like, how do we even know what fair is? Like, who defines fair? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as Christians, we let God tell us what's fair, we don't tell him what's fair. Right. You know, This in God's righteous universe is fair, mm-hmm. and where we answer back to God, we say, okay, God, you, you tell me what's fair, I don't tell you what's mm-hmm. fair. Keep that in mind with a lot. And not just this debate, but like, you know, all sorts of stuff, you know, is a it, is, is it fair for only, you know, you know, marriage or something like that? Again, when that comes up, ask the prior question, you know, it's God who defines fair ways. Mm-hmm. It's not like human consensus. It's not like, you know, a
1: popularity contest or something like that. God determines mm-hmm. you know, that's what fair is according to
0: God, and we're the ones that need to bring our lives and thinking into the language of God, not
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's really a good point. Like you said, this is and a bunch of other issues, too, not just the issue of predestination, but like you said, marriage or something. How do we define define marriage? Well, the world has their own way of now of saying what marriage should be or how we're allowed to do whatever. Um, but no, actually, God has set those things in place and um, that's who we are to listen to. That's who we get our ultimate authority from. It's not from somebody on NBC News or something that tells us this is the way things are. It's it's what does the word of God say? So, yeah, it's a good point. Any other comments, questions? I, I totally agree with them. We
3: never put our opinion or how we would see it like above what God has said. Mm-hmm. God comes everything. And then we just have to conform right. to the way we feel, even if we might say, I just don't understand that. It doesn't
1: matter. Yeah. 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 And I don't think God's unfair for that either. And again, kind of going back to what you said there, this is why it's so important to believe the Word of God and have, again, that as your ultimate authority. So when something comes up that says, you know, this isn't making sense to me yet, this is what I see in the scriptures, then we need to conform to what it says in the scriptures, not to, because maybe what the world tells me is right, uh, this is what I need to believe here. But if your view is that, you know, some things are right in the scriptures and some things are not, then you're just going to continually, you know, go back and forth, believe what you want to believe here, and then believe what you want to believe that your mind's telling you, right? So, just there something you want to say? Well, I
0: mean, it's basically what you just said there. there. You get going. You know, you might not like predestination, but do realize if you throw it out because you think it's unfair, realize you've sort of put yourself on a trajectory that will probably lead you throwing out other stuff here and there because mm-hmm. you don't like it. And before long, you're left with a religion that's basically just like what well, I like. I believe what I like. Uh, you know, so I'm going to throw out, you know, that that the husband's head of the household or something like that because I don't mm-hmm. like that. I'm going to throw out that, you know, people that are lost in uh, the jungles, they don't have access to the gospel or lost. I'm going to throw that out. And mm-hmm. I don't like the resurrection because, you know, biology says that doesn't. But before yeah. long, you've basically got just you as God and your preferences yeah. are determining what mm-hmm. you believe. So, you know, I'm not saying that you have to believe in predestination to be a Christian at all. I, I totally agree with what you said earlier that you're a Christian. You know, disagree with this. But do realize that if you start throwing stuff out of the Bible because you think it's, like, unfair, you really put yourself on a very dangerous path that can lead to, like, just... The mm-hmm.
1: I yep. the yeah, I think that's kind of what led me to, to believing it too was like, okay, I'm going to say that this is true because the Bible says this, but then I'm going to say, you know, argue against predestination when, to me, it seems that the Bible is saying that, you know, in so many passages, Ephesians 1, Romans 9, or whatever, you want to go to. So, any other comments, questions? We're going to move on from this fun discussion. One time I had discussion called, even, we think of
4: the doctrine of hell here related to this, but I thought a little different. And I think you've talked about it, but, you know, I don't know, I, there's probably some text that support this argument, but even people in hell are not, like, clamoring to repent and say, oh, I wish I would have done it differently. They're in hell, still in rebellion, you know, shaking their proverbial fist at God, mm-hmm. saying, you know, I hate you. It's just kind of, we think of people in hell, like, um, if they could go back and change it, they would. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know, you have the rich man Lazarus, where he does kind of act that way a little bit, but, but also I think, I like like oh, know, they're still in rebellion. There's Even over the their
1: Life. yeah i think yeah. the grace is removed entirely from them so again like w- what is causing anyone to believe in god is the grace of god in their life it's not something that they've come up with on their own so if the grace is removed from them in hell then they're, of course they are just going to continue in their sin i think it would be the logical conclusion to that not that they're sitting there just like oh god just give me a second chance and i'll turn to you so good, good comment Any, anything else manuel go ahead
2: what do you think, like, we, like, prayer prayer? what's that like grace,
1: looking like, looking like, no chance, that grace is a second chance? Yeah. Like the grace that is given to us from God? Yeah. And the um, I don't know if I would call it a second chance. I think I mean, God just gives you this grace, and that, I, yeah, I guess it's your only chance. I don't know. you any other comments you want to say to that? I don't know. I'm following you. For,
2: for human beings, right? So no grace. Grace?
1: Before human sin, yeah. before like the fall? Yeah. Uh, yeah, there was grace. I mean, everything was what that right. was. Right here in, our
0: <clears throat> in today's verse, by his own purpose
1: and grace, which he gave us through Christ is before the ages began. Yeah, the grace was
0: there even before
1: mm-hmm.
0: our timeline began.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I think the grace was, was set upon us from before time began, is what I think this passage is saying. So. Would you agree with that? Well, but God had known them and known who he was going to create and who they were. so uh, We can continue talking afterwards. Uh, we'll move on, though. So, this grace that has been given us in Christ Jesus before the age is began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So we're still talking about this grace um, that has been given to us before the ages began. And even though God has given us this grace from before time began, it had not been fully revealed as to how that was going to manifest itself, as it says here. Um, It would not be until Jesus' life and death and resurrection that this grace would would fully be manifested as to how that was going to to work out. Um, Now this grace had been revealed in the form of you know, God's counsel, the, his covenants, prophecies, types, and shadows uh, you know, of, of the one to come, of Jesus who is to come. Um, but it had not been fully revealed who, is, who that was going to be and how that was exactly going to take place. And, but Paul is saying, so now that this has taken place, we, it is now manifested uh, as to what this grace was that he gave us in Christ Jesus. Um, so it's not as though that people like before the coming of Christ were without this grace— uh, this simply looked forward they simply looked forward to the promise of Christ and the promise of this grace. Um, but now this grace has been fully manif- manifested through the life, death, and resurrection of our Savior Christ. and through his, through this he has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light uh, through the gospel. So here's another thing that the Bible answers that the world cannot answer and that is you know, why is there death? Uh, why do we die? Why don't we just live forever? Um, who who decided we had to die or, you know, if it's just random, then why does that happen? Um, And Genesis 2 answers that, and it says, And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And in 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul's basically using that as a backdrop, says, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So we are all by nature in Adam. We're all fallen and in need of salvation, um, but by grace we are in Christ. By nature we're in Adam, by grace we are in Christ. In Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Colossians 2.13-14, And you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So the Bible teaches us teaches us that before God made us alive, we were dead in our sins. And again, you're going to find this all over the place in the Bible. And uh, so this includes me, this includes everyone of you, this, this would include the sweet old lady across the street. Um, if she is not a Christian, she is dead in her sins. She is dead in her trespasses. Um, it doesn't matter, you know, how nice she is, how many sweaters she knits for you, or how many cookies she bakes for you. If she's not a believer, if she's not a Christian, she's dead in her sins. And there's only one who is able to make her alive, and that is Christ Jesus. And that's what this is saying here, who abolished death. Um, and that word abolish is, is such a powerful word, and I think it was you, Chris, that mentioned that a, a number of weeks ago. I brought that up, that, uh, you know, it means to put to an end, to terminate, to eliminate, to annihilate, um. To, to leave no room for it to come back up is really what it's saying here. And it would be important to point out as well that this is not referring to physical death. Um, so sorry to get your hopes up if you thought that's what I was teaching here—that you weren't going to physically die. You still will physically die, and again, that's what we talked about. The reason why that is—we're um, all one day going to experience physical death. But death—this is speaking of spiritual death. Um, and if you experience physical death while you are still spiritually dead you're going to face eternal death. Um, and But if you turn to Christ, who alone has the power to make you alive, then you will experience spiritual life. And you will not face eternal death, but you will it, instead uh, be granted eternal life and immortal life, what he's talking about here. So he's abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So through the gospel, by believing the gospel, um, you're basically immortal. Again, you'll have your physical death, but your soul will go on, and then you'll be reunited with your body and will live on into eternity. So... That is what was accomplished by Christ through his life and death and resurrection. And that is what Paul, again, all of this is to remind Timothy, uh, of, to encourage Timothy and to remind him not to be afraid, right? Not to be ashamed of the gospel. And he's saying, and, and Paul does this a lot. If you read it, like, if he'll mention God or Jesus Christ, then he'll go on for, like, a paragraph telling you all the things they've done uh, before, like, not just saying that god did this for you and then going on with his point he'll say god and then he did he died for your sins you know all this and so that's what he does here and he's reminding paul or excuse me he's reminding timothy that this is the god again that you serve this is why you should not be afraid um because the one thing that should cause you fear that is being dead in your trespasses has already been taken care of by god uh in christ so that should wipe away any of your fears and allow you to continue in your ministry uh, no matter what, again, obstacles come your way. So, not out of time in the we'll beginning. A new section. Anybody else have comments, questions on anything we talked about here today? it's interesting. The last part you were talking
0: about looks back to the predestination, of course, it all fits But we're all on this plane of spiritual death, mm-hmm. and God predestines to pick, pick some out. It's not that He's sending these people to hell. We're all going to hell anyway. Mm-hmm. He's choosing for some not
1: to go. Yeah, he's, he's being gracious to some. Yes. It? So, had yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, these are very serious things we are
5: talking about here because mm-hmm. life and immortality. Sometimes we always think we have time; we have all our years to live. But from our experiences, we don't have time. Mm-hmm. You know, God can call anybody at any time, and mm-hmm. What we like pastor, is that we um, don't die in faith, you know, and when you die in faith, that's like the rich man in Lazarus, uh, you see that great golf face, and mm-hmm. once you transition, you are either there or here, mm-hmm. there is a great golf,
0: yeah. so we don't
5: have time to debate be and, you know, you should come in. you go to bed, and if you are not careful, that's it for you, mm-hmm. yeah. you may not have the time to live to be 90. 100 or beyond 100. God be mm-hmm. call you at 20, mm-hmm. 25, 30. We don't have time, and that makes the call of salvation, you know, something that should be urgent, and you need yeah. to deal with that. Mm-hmm. In Scripture, the Bible says that uh, Christ came to His own, by His own did not receive Him. Look at the Jews. We are talking about this, but like this very morning, they are still expecting a Savior who came 2,000 years ago, still calling out in the wailing walls. For their savior to come. When these people are abducted, they wish they had a savior. Mm-hmm. But that work has been done long time ago. Mm-hmm. And the Jews are still looking for that savior. Mm-hmm. Those who believe in him, Alright? even though they die, the Bible says, well, it's like they are falling asleep. So these are very urgent matters that every one of us must settle. And this is what I get from the call life and immortality is real. And like Joshua said, choose you this day. Mm-hmm. Choose you this day, you know. It's not another day. This day, choose you. That
1: may be all the time now Yeah, amen. That's a, an important message to hear. I mean, uh, you know, we're not promised any any amount of time here on this earth, and that's what faces us is immortality. You know, either living on in eternity uh, in heaven, where we can be with God for eternity, or or being in hell, where we'll suffer for our sins. And again, the only one who has the answer to overcoming death um, is. is Christ Jesus, who died for our sins and has um, purchased us. So, do you have something you wanted to no, say? Okay. All right. We'll wrap up. Thank you for your patience with me. Dear Holy Father, we thank you so much uh, for this time to, to gather together and study your word, Lord. Just pray that you would give us grace and help and guidance as we go through your word to understand it uh, in the way that you intended. And I just pray um, that we would trust that your word is is true and infallible lord and that it is um the source of of all truth lord and we put our confidence in that and nothing and of what maybe our mind tells us or the world tells us lord but that we would search your word and humbly submit to it i just pray that um i thank you lord that you have given us this grace in christ jesus before the ages began i thank you that you were gracious to me and to, to us here lord um uh, even though there was nothing good in us that you you foresaw, you gave us this grace anyway. You wrote our name down in the Lamb's Book of Life, Lord. And we're so grateful that, for that and thankful for that, Lord, and we pray that we would give you praise for that each and every day. And we thank you that your Son, Christ Jesus, has abolished death and brought immortality to light through the Gospel, Lord. We're so thankful for this and pray uh, that we would share this news with others and that they might too be saved. I pray, Lord, that you would bless now our time uh, in worship and uh, Throughout this sermon, Lord, give Pastor Tim strength and wisdom as he teaches, Lord. And I pray that your name would be glorified in all of this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.